Tony's talk, um, the uh, two songs that Tony, Tony sang, gosh, both of those songs kind of incorporated the, the point of tonight's talk. It's the um, third talk in your course guide. If you've got your course guides, you probably want to turn to page, uh, let's see, second talk. It on, starts on page 18. Starts on page 18. Um, I don't know how many of y'all have crosses. I don't know if you've got crosses around your neck or maybe you've got uh, earrings that are, that are crosses or maybe you've got them hanging in your house. I know my wife and I, I did a count one alpha. I don't know, it's embarrassing. We've got some 18 or 19 crosses um, scattered all over our house. We use them for decoration. Uh, we might need to consult an interior designer. Maybe we've gone a little too far in one direction, but we got a lot of crosses. Um, and people wear them for a number of reasons. You know, some people wear them because they were given, you know, given to them at, at memorable times in their life, maybe a, a baptism or a confirmation, or maybe somebody gives um, to someone as a, a jewelry, you know, just as a, as a jewelry, or you see them hanging on, on car rearview mirrors. Um, but the point I'm trying to make about this, this symbol, this cross, is that it really is, I mean, you can't go many places in this country, at least, and not run into uh, this symbol. But I wonder if we've ever really thought about it. Uh, before I get into the talk, I just want to, if we've ever really thought about the cross as, as a symbol of what it really is, it's a, it's a sign of execution. For Christians, you know, we talk about the beautiful cross, we talk about how wonderful the cross is, we, we commemorate and memorialize the cross, but it's, it's as if we're hanging um, a lethal injection syringe around our neck. Or it's as if we're hanging an electric chair around our neck. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what, what, what we're actually, you know, what I'm hanging around my neck here, this cross, it was a, it was a way to actually torture people. The cross was a, something that the Carthaginians, Carthaginians and the Persians used a couple centuries before Christ stepped foot on the earth. And it was a way, when people were captured in war, of torturing uh, the people who were captured and putting them on display so that the enemy, the people that were attacking whoever was, was crucifying people, would know that this particular group of people were not people to be messed with. And so they would leave these people hanging on the cross um, and then eventually kill them on the cross. The Romans, you see, weren't allowed to leave um, people who were being crucified um, until they were dead. And so what the Romans would do, and we, we read this in some of the scripture, two of the scriptures, is um, if the person had been hanging there for quite a while and wasn't dead, they would come along with a, a large club, and they would actually break the femur of the person hanging there. They would, they would break their femurs. Well, the femurs are the largest bones in your body, and they carry the most blood. So as soon as they broke their femurs, two things would happen. The person would lose uh, blood pressure. It would drop immediately, which would probably stop their heart. And um, they would lose blood flow from the biggest part of their body. And so breaking people's femurs was the quickest way to get these condemned people to die. Also, with your femur broken, if you're on the cross, you can't use your feet any longer to push up. Because what you would do while you were hanging there is you would take your toes and then you would push up off of the little uh, standing place, and that would allow your lungs to be able to fill up with air. And so then that's how you sustained yourself as you were dying there on the cross. It was painful. It, uh, that's my point. It was painful. It was um, public torture. It was humiliation. And it was so bad that it was eventually outlawed in um, 347 A.D. Like I said, all four of the Gospels, we've talked about the four books in the New Testament, all four of the Gospels talk about Jesus' crucifixion um, many times. And so tonight's talk 
the question, why did Jesus die, is it's, what it's asking is, so what, what does it matter, or why is that question relevant? Why do we want to talk about somebody that was executed some 2,000 years ago? Well, I want to suggest for the purpose of the talk that it was for one reason, and the word I would like for you to think of as we go through the talk is connectedness. The, the purpose, why did Jesus die? To, to help us connect. He wanted to connect us. So look with, your, look with me on your Bibles on page 791. It's uh, one of those verses of Scripture that most people have memorized that go to church. In the 70s, there was a guy that ran around to sporting events with this on a sign. He had crazy hair, and he held it up everywhere. It's John 3.16, exactly. It's also in your course guide. John 3.16. Page 791. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want you to focus on four words. The first word is loved, the second word is gave, the third word is believed, and the fourth word is eternal life. And then I want you to keep your finger on that passage because we're going to come back to it at the end. But what that passage is talking about is a problem that was on earth. Um, and the problem, um, as God sees it, was this thing called sin. Sin had entered his creation, and sin had, according to our course guide, four effects on humanity. Sin had four effects on humanity. It polluted humanity. It had a power over humanity that humans couldn't get out from under. There was a penalty associated with sin. And worst of all, remembering that word connectedness, there had been this partition now between the creator God and his creation. Sin had created this, this partition. Um, humans weren't behaving like humans were supposed to behave, and the creator was, uh, didn't like it, for, to put it in simple. It was as if you had a cat, and um, instead of behaving like a cat, this cat behaved like a fish. I mean, as soon as the door was open, it would run outside and jump in a pool, it couldn't wait to take a bath. Anytime it rained, your cat ran outside. It was always acting like a fish, but it was a cat. It was created to be a cat and act like a cat, but it was acting like a fish. That's a simple but a funny illustration, cats acting unlike cats. Well, human beings were acting unlike human beings with these four effects of sin in their lives. This pollution, this power, this penalty, and this partition. Human beings weren't acting like they were created to act. And so the creator... Um, which was his plan since the beginning of time. That's an important thing to, to think about. I'm sorry. Silence your cell phones, okay? Here I am. My cell phone's just ringing off the hook for dinging. Um, this, uh, this rescue, this plan of God's to rescue and redeem his creation was always in place. It wasn't like he woke up one morning and looked and saw the sinful world and said, oh, what are we going to do? Um, God had this plan since before time. And since human beings we're behaving in these ways, God decides that he's going to provide a solution, the only solution, to set everything back right. Um, this, this gospel of John, the, the word loved is the one that uh, jumps out at me the most, for God so loved the world. Um, and he loves the world so much that he wants to do something. If you read on in John, it reads like a love letter, if you read the rest of the, the rest of the gospel. And the word love appears many times. 
Um, and I think we all kind of know what love means or what it signifies, whether it's boyfriends, girlfriends, children, parents, best friends. It's that sense or that feeling that you have to be around that person. You know, you, you're, you're, you're madly in love the first time you start dating somebody, and you just you can't stand a moment apart from them. Or you've got children that you can't stand to be apart from, or best friends that you can't stand to be apart from. You have to be near them. In today's world, you have to call them. You have to, I see a couple giggling. You have to text them. Um, you, have to, you have to tweet them or whatever else you can do. You, 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 you can't take your eyes off them is the point of that kind of love that I'm trying to describe. Um, but in all of these descriptions, it's a, it's a relational love. It's a, re- it's a love that requires interaction between two people. It requires interaction between two people, and that's the love that God displays when he decides to act, when he decides to act. Okay, so read John 3.16 with me once again. Get back there on page 791. And this time as you read it, I want you to be thinking about that idea of connectedness. So in other words, God so wanted us to be reconnected to him in a relationship that he does something. And this relationship that he wants with us is one that puts him first in our lives and definitely ahead of everything else. So God does something. He sends his son to this earth. And he knew our greatest need on earth was to be saved from this sin or this disconnectedness. So he does something. He does something. Look with me at uh, page 838 now. Um, it's Romans chapter 3, verse 3.23, and we're going to be looking at this passage as well. Romans 3.23. I'm going to back up and just read the beginning of the sentence. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So in this passage, a man named Paul talks about the equality of everyone's behavior. Um, he makes the point, of course, that no one is better than the next. The murderer, the liar, the greedy, the lustful have all acted in one way or another unlike their creator, like I was saying. That's what sin does. It drives us from the one who really loves us and who really knows us. It creates this separation. So like I said, there were four symptoms or or four results of sin, and they're right there in your course guide on page 18. The pollution of sin, that's what I described with my cat analogy. The pollution of sin has an effect on humanity that causes human beings to act in a way that was contrary to the way they were created. So we're cats, but we love the water. We're, we're human beings, but we love the things that we shouldn't love, Paul says. That's the pollution of sin in our lives. It's having that effect. Um, the second is the power of sin. The power of sin. That we're helpless in our own flesh to do anything about this. It's, it's actually taken our allegiance away from the one who created us, and it shifts our allegiance towards sin. It's as if your child came home from school and said, you know what, I've decided I'm not going to follow the rules in the Beeson house anymore. I'm going to start following the rules in the Smith house next door. And you'd say, wait a minute, no, you were born into this household. You, know, you, you, you belong to the Beeson family. You, you go by our rules. And I don't really like that word, rules, but that's, that's what it was. God created us to be subject to his leading in our lives, not other things. Not money, not sex, not greed. I'm to his leading. The first commandment's clear about that. I'm supposed to be number one in your life is the way it 
Gary Beeson would paraphrase God saying it. You shall have no other gods but me. There'll be nothing that stands between me and you, God says. Well, the power that sin has in our lives keeps us in constant tension with that, with that commandment. Thirdly, and I think the most painful for us, is the penalty. We actually suffer the penalty now. I mean, we, we, we create hell on earth. Those are my words. Let me show you what I mean. Lust. Lust sometimes can lead to adultery. Adultery sometimes can lead to divorce. Divorce can then lead to brokenness in children, spouses, and families. I have a nephew. His parents got divorced. He was an amazing young man. And, and people say, oh, kids are resilient. They can get through it. They'll be all right. And I'm, I'm a product of divorce. I'm not trying to beat anybody up who's gone through divorce. It's a horrible thing. But that's one of the penalties for sin is that divorce entered into this creation. It's not the way God intended it. Divorce was never in God's plan. Um, and when you have this pain or this penalty, you, there, some price has to be paid to set it back right. If somebody dents your car and they've got insurance and you've got insurance, then you expect their insurance to, to provide restitution, right? To pay the penalty of bumping into my car. And then you get your car fixed and everything is set right. So penalty has this sense of, well, something needs to be paid in order to set this sin problem straight. And finally, um, the Bible says, and this is what caused, stirred God into action, is that um, the sin had caused us to be separated from him. He was not a person we could speak to. He was not a person we could pray to. He was not a person who would even intercede for us, which was never his desire. His desire was always to be with us, in our hearts, kind of that friendship relationship where he couldn't stand to be away from us and we can't stand to be away from him. He created this system, and he knows how beautifully it works when there's no partition, when there's no sin partition. So those are the problems with sin. And then your course guide goes on to talk about how Jesus solves those four problems. How, how his death on the cross, and this is a big theological word, it's called atonement, how his sacrifice on the cross atones for our sin, or atones for the sin of the world. So I'm going to kind of pop through these rather quickly as well. Um, but before I get there, look at page 901. Look at page 901 in your Bible. It's 1 Peter 2.21. The course guide has it um, as 1 Peter 2.24, but I want to start on verse 21. 901. So we've talked about the problem that sin brought to the world. I mentioned that Jesus is the solution, but before I get there, let me read this. Uh, so 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to start at verse 21, which looks to me like it's in the middle there on the right page, about halfway down that first column. Everybody with me? Yeah. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Jesus, he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This is the line that I want you to hear. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We have been healed. 
this is a deeper understanding of the sin problem that I want us to un- I want us to think about tonight when we go into our small groups. He died in our place. He died for us. He did nothing wrong. He was without sin. He had none of those four problems that I mentioned. Um, and, and he did it because it was the only way to bring us back into a connectedness with God. Back to a connectedness with God. It's an amazing thing. I mean, hopefully, we, we, we hear about courageous men and women on the battlefield who give their lives for their fellow soldiers. And we hear sometimes about people doing miraculous things in, um, in moments of, of high drama or high anxiety. People actually do things that put themselves in harm's way, and sometimes they lose their life for it. But um, it's a rare thing, I think, if we think about it, that we would do that for somebody um, we didn't know. If I just called you up on the phone and said, Fleming, um, there's a guy down the street that's scheduled to die. Would you would you go die in this guy's place? And Fleming might say, wait, Gary, I'm going to need a little more details there. I mean, wait, I'm not so sure. Or worse still, you get a call from, from the prison out there uh, in Ridgeville. And they say, Susan, um, there's, a, there's a woman scheduled to be executed tomorrow, but um, we've worked out a deal, and if we can execute you instead, would you go in her place? I mean, I doubt... Few of us, if any, would do that. I mean, I, you know, who, who would go die for somebody they don't know, let alone somebody that they believed had done something wrong? Well, that's the place that Jesus takes. That's the place he takes. He's a sacrifice in our place. He's completely blameless. And he'll pay the price for our sins, and not just ours alone, but for the sins of the world, and restore us into a connected relationship with God. And remember, it's not really that easy, this crucifixion I described it at the beginning. Hanging there, losing blood, having your femurs eventually broken. Christ actually died before that. But the nails, the asphyxiation, the pain, the suffering, um, it really wasn't that easy. So let me go quickly through the four ways that Jesus answers the problem. And they're right there in your course guide on page 18. It says, number one, the temple. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. In the Jewish system, up until the time that Jesus was born, the way the sins of the community were dealt with were you brought an animal and it was sacrificed in the temple, and that animal's blood would be the atonement for the sin. Jesus, Hebrews 10.4 says, and we won't turn there, sheds his blood, his perfect blood, once and for all. So he takes the place of the animal sacrifice in the form of a perfect human sacrifice for sin, which removes the pollution of sin. We exchange the stain that we have of sin for the stain of his blood, which washes us clean. Um, Secondly, the power of sin. Remember I talked about when somebody, um, well, that's actually the penalty of sin, but um, the power of sin is this, is this grip that sin has us. Look on page uh, 838 again, at verse 24 there in Romans. It was Romans 3. Look at verse 24. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So he has redeemed us. It's as if he's gone with his money, but it's actually his life, and and paid uh, for our lives. So we've exchanged lives with him. We say that we die in baptism when we get baptized as Christians and we're raised to new life. It's this exchange idea, this redeeming, like you redeem a coupon in a grocery store. Jesus is redeeming his life for our life. 
which breaks the power of sin. The third one, the penalty of sin, um, that's also found there in verse 24. You can see where it says, justified freely by his grace. In other words, there was this, somebody had dented somebody's car, so something needed to be done in order to get the car repaired. We in our own flesh can't repair our car, to use as kind of a worn out metaphor. Jesus is the only one that can do that. And so he does it freely, he offers it freely, and it's up to us to accept it freely. But his life pays the penalty for that sin. And then finally, the fourth point, um, reconciliation, which was the whole notion of connectedness that I was talking about at the very beginning. Um, we, are, we are connected to Christ, and therefore we are connected to God. Look with me uh, now on, in, your, in your Bibles on page 866. See if I can show you in Scripture where this is true. 866 talks about our connectedness to Christ thanks to the work that he has done for us on the cross. Galatians 2, chapter, verse 20, so it's on page, on the next page. There we are. Talking to myself now. I'm going to read 19 and uh, 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the best summation of what I'm trying to explain that Jesus did for us on the cross. When we say yes, he takes us into his life. We receive his life. He takes our old sinful life. And um, we begin this new life. Now, is everything perfect? No. Am I, do, do, I, do, I no do I no longer sin? No. Has the temptation and power of sin completely gone from my life? No. No. But I know that when I sin, that Jesus has already paid the penalty for that sin. There was a famous quote um, I hope I don't butcher it, but it goes something like this. Um, there is no sin that we can commit today for which Christ did not die on the cross for. It's a pretty heavy thing for me to think about. There is nothing that we can do, Scripture says, that will separate us from God because there's nothing that we could do now that Jesus hasn't already solved the problem for us. Alpha, at times along the way, allows people to at least respond to what they've heard. And that, Tonight, there are really three ways you could respond. If this is the first time you'd ever actually had the whole um, crucifixion explained to you, and something about what I said uh, stirred something in, in you, um, you, you may want to respond. There's a page I'll direct you to in here in a minute, and you can go back to your small groups and talk about it. But there are really three reactions people have when they hear some kind of talk like this. They can ignore it and say, oh, I've heard that a million times. I've been dragged to church. I don't care. That's ignoring it. Secondly, um, you can say, you know what? I may believe it, but I'm not really ready to give my life completely over to that idea. I don't really think I need it. My life's not going too bad. So you know, thank you very much, but I'll continue to marshal on uh, the way I'm going. Or thirdly, there may be a person here or persons who say, you know what? I, I never actually thought about Jesus dying on the cross for me um, and that he did it just for me. He did it for the world for sure, but really and most importantly tonight, he did it for each one of us. And you may be saying, I, I want that power that Gary was hinting at. I want to spend eternity with a loving God. I don't want to be separated now or forever. I want a new life of grace and love as we read in Scripture. 
And here's what I think a lot of us could say. Sin has worn me out. Sin has worn me out. And I want to connect back with the one who loves me and created me and knows me for who I am. Um, it's, it's that moving this thing from your head to your heart that we'll talk about over and over and over again in Advent. But uh, that's why Jesus died. He died to reconnect us to his Father and to give us a new life. So we've got, um, gosh, almost 45 minutes for small group. Uh, we're ending at 8.15. Make sure you talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit overnight. And I'll see you next week. Go to small group. Oh, thank you. Let me, um, let me just show you, small group leaders, in your Alpha course guide on page 93, there is a prayer. And if somebody says, you know, I want to I, I pray this, or group leaders, if you want to close your small group, and you can all pray it out loud. It doesn't have to be a, a, anything more complicated than that. But I'll leave that up to the small group leaders. All right, see you next week.